And I think that's what we have to understand, even in ministry. I can go and get mad and upset, but I can't stay mad and upset. I have to go to the word of God and I have to say, okay, you said I can get over this. You said I can get past this. You said I can deal with this. Then I'm taking you at your word. Welcome to the Real Talk 238 podcast with your host, Denise Lee, an Associate Licensed Counselor and Nationally Board Certified Counselor in the state of Alabama under the supervision of Cotina Stroud. The Real Talk 238 podcast has real conversations concerning taboo topics, which people may find themselves struggling with that may not be discussed, especially in relation to the church. The purpose of the Real Talk 238 podcast is to bring awareness, hope, and encouragement. Having these conversations will shed light on the truth and break the lie of being the only one, being stuck, isolated, and alone because there is someone else who has gone through something similar. Topics discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast are not a substitute nor does it replace professional medical, psychiatric, psychological, or mental health advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and is intended strictly for informational and educational purposes only. All right, let's get started. If you are a pastor's wife, a minister's wife, or a woman in ministry, then you will want to listen to this important announcement for some exciting news. Coming July 22nd and 23rd of 2022, there will be a retreat that is geared specifically for you as a pastor's wife, a minister's wife, or a woman in ministry. The theme of this retreat is called Resolute and Refresh and is being hosted by Resolute and Refresh Ministries, and the Real Talk 238 podcast. The definition of resolute is admirably, purposeful, determined, and unwavering. The reason this retreat is called Resolute and Refresh is because women who are the wife of a pastor, the wife of a minister, or involved in ministry understand how important it is to be purposeful, determined, and unwavering. These women also understand that no matter what level or capacity they serve, There are times when a few days away are needed so that they can be the best they can be for their spouses, their families, and their churches that they serve. The purpose of this retreat is to invite women who are involved in ministry together so they can be specifically ministered to and be refreshed. The women who attend this retreat will have a place to just get away for a few days so they can be supported, refreshed, and return to their churches feeling rejuvenated. The lineup for this retreat is Carla Burton, Jessica Marquez, Denise Lee, Tara Anderson, and Michelle Corbin. You will not want to miss out. So if you are a pastor's wife, a minister's wife, or a woman who serves in ministry, then stay tuned for more details to come on the location and the registration process. Now, Here is an exciting interview for the Real Talk 238 podcast. Here we go. 
Hey everyone, welcome to today to the Real Talk 238 podcast. I am your host, Denise Lee. I am super excited about my guest today. I'm actually, to be honest with you, I'm a bit nervous, but I don't know. I guess that comes with the territory sometimes. But my guest today is Carla Burton. She's from Gallatin, Tennessee. She is a minister. Well, I'm just going to add this in here. She's also a worldwide traveler, just kind of been everywhere, I think. She's married to Jay Curtis Burton, and her and her husband, they pastor a church in Nashville called the Turning Point Church. She's been married to him for 33 years, and they have one daughter, Caitlin, and she's married married to Travis Dyke. No pet. And I don't think there's any plan for pet. Not right now. No. (laughs) Not not right now. She's been in church her entire life. I'm not going to say how long. I'll leave that up to her. And areas of ministry that she's involved in. Obviously, she's a pastor's wife. She's also part of administration for her local church. She speaks, teaches. She's an author and worship leader. And I'm going to tell you, if you have not ever heard her in person, you are missing out. She's a phenomenal speaker. I can attest to that. And then she also founded what's called a Passion Approach Ministry. And it's an online digital video resource center with apostolic teachers. And then she describes herself. I love this as a type A personality that loves to study and share the Word of God. She likes organization and loves to worship. Her heart is on helping women to see, understand, and obey the Word of God. And then a fun fact about her, I had no idea about this, is that she has no cartilage at the end of her nose, and she was just born that way, and I would have never known that. And she's, I'm looking at her while she pushes her nose down. Hi, Carla. How are you doing today? I am doing well, Denise. Thank you for having me. It's a joy to be with you. So you were not born with cartilage? No, no. Now my mother told me that she fell out of the doorway on her belly when I was a baby, but they, but they just don't think that I was ever born with any cartilage in the end of my nose. And I can just about twist it completely around. And I remember funny, just a funny story when I was growing up in the Philippines as a missionary kid, my mother was letting me take, you know, the karate lessons, just self-defense when you're a young kid, you know, well, I was there and the, the instructor, he was an official Chinese guy. I mean, he was very like the Bruce Lee of whatever. He came up and he was doing the maneuver where they're supposed to hit your nose with the with the base of your hand and it's supposed to drive the bone he said this is karate is not for this but this is the highest level you could go to where you could actually kill somebody and so he was going to all the students and he was pushing on their nose and he got to me and he said oh you have advantage someone would think they could kill you but it's not there you would have advantage (laughs) so I have advantage because I have no cartilage in my nose (laughs) That is an awesome story. <laughs> that is totally awesome. I guess if I want to kill anybody, but I don't want to do that. So, so I, I guess it's safe to say with that karate training when you was younger, don't mess with you. <laughs> I didn't last very long. <laughs> so I think you're safe. <laughs> That's funny. You know, one of the things about this podcast is I like diving into difficult subjects. And that isn't always about maybe personal experience. I recently I had interviewed a psychologist friend of mine, Alyssa, and she's also apostolic. But we talked about mental health in the church, what all that pertains to. And, and especially like over the years of time. And I know, I know you've seen this, how things were viewed 20, 30, 40 years ago, as far as mental health goes compared to now. What is your thoughts on 
that. I love this topic because as a pastor's wife, I have seen an evolution, if you want to use that terminology, of dysfunction. People coming into the church. Now, when I grew up, I, I know there was dysfunction, but we were very good at hiding it. We were very good at covering it. And it was only as people progressed through their mental life, through their married life, through the raising of their children, that you would begin to see the fruits of that because you can only cover that stuff so long. I mean, it really, there's a moment when you've got to acknowledge what your weaknesses are, what, what you're dealing with within your life. So when we started pastoring, I remember, well, let me go back to this because I remember when my husband and I got married, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law got a divorce and it was more traumatic for me that they got divorced than it was for them because I had been, that was the first time in my life that I had ever been exposed to divorce. Well, after that, I had family members that got divorced and it became more commonplace for me to deal with that. But that's how sheltered I was. I was 21 when I got married. They got divorced when I was 23. And it was pretty traumatic for me at 23. But in pastoring, what I have seen is I have seen that we are a lot more open with our dysfunction now. Where we used to hide it, it's a lot more noticeable. People come into the church. They come into the church acknowledging their dysfunction. And as such, my husband and I, throughout the years, have really dealt with our people and sending them to professional counseling. Now, many years ago in the church, you did not do that. Many years ago in the church, let's go to the altar, let's pray, God's gonna take care of it. But I think as we have developed this whole industry or this whole acknowledgement of how good counseling is, I think my husband and I have recognized, we tell people we can help you when it comes to the Bible. I can point you anywhere in the Bible. I can show you things that God said about mental health, about physical health, about things like that from the word of God. But I also acknowledge that I've not gone to school and studied the right questions to ask you, the right exercises to give you, to help you come overcome and come through some of this dysfunction that we see. So I think that as a pastor, if you do not acknowledge sending someone to find a, yes, a Christian-based counselor, somebody who's going to undergird the word of God, in their life, but maybe has the training to help someone understand and ask the right questions and give them the right exercises and send them to the right resources that I've not studied and don't know, then I think we're being foolish as ministry in this day and time. Because there are issues that if I start delving into it, I could actually damage someone more than I could help them. That is so important too. And I really appreciate you seeing if there's anybody in your church, just send them to a professional therapist. And one of the things that I have found, particularly since I've been in this field, was that pastors don't, I'm not going to say everywhere, okay, because obviously you guys do make an effort, you do, you're very much, hey, let's get you some help. But not all pastors do that. And what I have found, and I'm, to be honest, I need to do better on my part, but is to building a friendship, a relationship maybe with somebody who, as pastors, to build that relationship with somebody who's as a therapist. So you know what kind of person would that be a good fit for that person? Because not every therapist is going to be a good fit. We actually have a list of names, my husband and I. We have apostolic counselors names that we keep, but we also have, we have a local center called the Bab Center, which is at the First Baptist Church in Hendersonville, which is not far from us, that we know is Christian based. So we have a list of about five Christian counselors and we tell them some people are not comfortable going to an apostolic Christian counselor, right? but they would go to someone who's of another denomination. And we tell them, we do not care where you go as long as they're Christian based. You don't want somebody who's going to undermine God 
and the word of God and the power that it has in your life. Many years ago at our Tennessee District Ladies Conference, I lead worship there and have for many years, our president brought in Brother James Hughes. I don't know if you know who he is, but he is a licensed counselor. He's also a licensed minister. He's based out of Houston, Texas. And I thought this was amazing that she brought this man in to speak to Ladies Conference. It was a great thing, but he made a statement that has always stuck with me. And I share this over and over again because he's a Christian counselor. He's licensed professional. And he made the statement. He said, counseling, what you need to understand about counseling is he said, it is one thing. He said, it's like a tree. Counseling comes in and digs out all the dirt around the base of the tree so that you can see the root of the problem. That's what counseling does. It helps you acknowledge, dig away the dirt that's built up in your life and say, okay, there's the root of my problem. But he said, what you have to understand is just counseling alone will not heal the root or the hurt of that problem. He said, then that's when you need God and the Holy Spirit and the word of God to come alongside of counseling to heal what's damaged the root of the problem. So I love that analogy because it took counseling and it took the word of God and it showed how they can both be effective in your life. One reveals the root of the problem, but then that alone won't heal the root. You must then apply God, his understanding, the word of God, forgiveness, and all of that comes together. And that's when you heal the root of the problem. Yes, exactly. Oh my word. I'm over here. I got chills. I got goosebumps. Yeah, that is exactly it. It, It's not counseling alone. And like some people, they'll come in, lived whatever life they've lived. They come in with baggage. They go to that altar. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard the expression, just let it go leave it at the altar. And yeah, a person attempts to do that, but we're still fallible. We're still human. Something will happen in our life and it just, it dredges up that stuff again. Well, leaving it at the altar is easier on something. I look at it like luggage. It's a lot easier for me to carry my carry on than it is for me to haul my big suitcase everywhere. (laughs) Right? Right. Right. So it's easy for me to come and say, oh, this person offended me. I can let that go and leave it at the altar. But then if you get into issues such as you were molested when you were young, that's big luggage. That's a big issue. And just coming one time is not going to release that. There's going to be triggers. There's going to be moments. I was recently in a in a service and a friend of mine, which I can share this because she said it publicly at a ladies conference, but a friend of mine was speaking and she brought up the fact that she had been molested when she was young and that she had gone to a, a service many years later when her daughter was with her at the same age and the man that molested her was there and she went into a moment of just panic and she said she realized it was because he was there her daughter was there her daughter was the same age when he molested and she had a moment she said it was like being in war and you're back in that moment and she said I was having a panic attack I was breathing I was just like I've got to get my daughter out of here so what I'm saying is there's some traumas and this is what pastoring today we have to understand there are some traumas that are so hard, that are so life altering and life changing. It's not a one moment. It's probably moment after moment after moment. But I look at it this way. If they stay connected to the church, if they stay connected to God and to the presence of God, then they have the tools that they need in the end to overcome this to some manner. If I just push them out and they go to counseling, we go back to, they'll get the root of the problem, but they won't get the healing of the root of the problem. I had a lady in my church many years ago. She had been terribly, terribly sexually molested. I mean, just 
it breaks my heart when I hear that story. And I'm, I'm type A personality. I want to go after those people. You know, I'm just going to be honest. She came to me and she's, she's in the church. She's apostolic. She loves God. She, she worships, but there is, she had such a hold on her life. And I remember the Lord gave, you know, I pushed her. I said, you got to go to counseling, got to go to counseling. She started counseling, but the Lord gave me a message on forgiveness one time. And she came to me and she said, that helped me so much because I was talking about it in counseling and recognizing what I was dealing with. That This person that molested her died in a car accident, justice of God, I say. And she was upset that she never gotten a chance to confront them or, you know, to have that conversation. The Lord gave me the concept about forgiveness. And it's simply this. We have a tendency to think that forgiveness means saying what you did to me was okay. The Bible never shows us that that's what forgiveness is. Exactly. In fact, when Jesus was on the cross, and he's going through everything he's going through, which he did not deserve. None of that he deserved. He was not a thief. He was not a murderer. He deserved none of that. And he makes the statement, Father, forgive them. What's the last line of that? For they know not what they do. So he was not saying, Father, forgive them for what they're doing is right. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is simply saying, what you're doing to me is your issue. It's your problem. And I told this lady, I said, when you were sexually molested as a child, where it was the problem with you? Did you have sexual issues? No. Who had sexual issues? The person who molested you. It was their issue. It was their problem. It was their circumstance that then they attached to you because they did it to you. And I said, forgiveness is not saying that they were right. None of that is right. God does not. He keeps all that in his ledger. He makes it justified in the end. I said, forgiveness is simply cutting the string of their issue from your life and saying, I'm going to forgive because I'm not going to allow this to stay attached to my life. And that's what Jesus was saying. He said, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Their issue is their issue. And that's what forgiveness is. And she told me, she said, that helped me more than anything because she said, I always felt like if I said, I forgive him, I was saying what you did to me was okay. And we know none of that is ever okay. It's rooted in sin. It's rooted in perverted sin. And it is wrong, but always understand for a child, for a, for anybody, even a woman who's beaten, she's not the one with the anger issues. She's not the one with the problem. But when we allow that to continue to have a root in our life, we allow it to hold us. And the Lord even gave me the analogy of a mule. You know, when you go to the Grand Canyon, you want to you want to make a trip down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. So you get on a mule, right? The mule carries the tent. He carries the water bottles. He carries the frying pan. He might carry the wood. But when he gets to the bottom of the canyon, does he get to sleep in the tent? Does he get to eat out of the, the pan? No. Does he get to drink out of the canteen? No. That's what unforgiveness is. You're carrying around other people's stuff. It's not your stuff. You don't get to utilize it in any way, but you're carrying it around. And I just love that analogy when the Lord gave that to me about forgiveness. And, and I know forgiveness is hard because people have been through terrible, terrible things, but you're not saying it was okay. You're simply saying your issue is your issue. I refuse to allow it to become my issue. And also I think it, you know, forgiveness is not excusing that person. Like you said, it's 
still holding them accountable, but it's, but it's not being, it's not allowing yourself to be controlled by that person, whatever that person says, does, act. Because, you know, when it boils down to it, you don't have any, you know, we all don't have control of what anybody else does. And, you know, I have a a lot of my clients that come see me, uh, particularly those who do have a history of trauma. I'll ask them this one key question. I'll say, how important is control to you? And for some of them, it's like a punch in the stomach and they'll start crying because that control is so huge for them because one place in their life, they didn't have any control. So they try to control every aspect from then on of their life. Think about it like this too. Jesus said in the Bible, he said, I'm the greatest avenger. I'm the greatest. I keep records really well. And I'm the greatest venture. I always tell people this. I say, there's a terminology in the military called collateral damage. There are times that the military will not fire, will not fire on a rocket, will not, you know, a bomb or drop a bomb or anything because it's surrounded by a school or a hospital and there's just too much opportunity for collateral damage. I feel the same thing is true with God. When we hold on to a situation or a trauma and we keep our self attached through anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, a lack of counseling, a lack of dealing with our issues. We keep ourselves tied to that person. God himself cannot pass judgment on them because we could wind up being collateral damage. And I think there are times that God holds back his judgment, holds back his vengeance because he's saying, you're too close. You're too wanting to control the situation, wanting to deal with it yourself. I can't come in and perform the judgment that I need to perform or the vengeance that I need to perform that because you're collateral damage. And I think we have to be careful that we're healing ourselves and taking care of ourselves and separating ourselves from other people's issues. I cannot take on their issues because I can't control other people. The only person in the world that I have any authority to control is myself. Another area, I know we had talked a little bit about this beforehand, but like, how do you deal with hardships? Like when you deal personally with hardship, especially being in ministry, and being in leadership because everybody's watching you. That saying the glass house. Oh yeah, you live every point of that. I I hate the glass house. I know what that glass house is to a certain extent, but you know, I'll never forget there was a time when we were we were living in another state and we were assisting a pastor and I hated the glass house. Absolutely hated it. And it's like how do you deal how do you deal with those type of things that I don't know ministry hurts or whatever the case may be. Well, it's it's going to sound trite when I say this, but I want people to understand that really is a mantra of my life. I don't even know if that's the right word to use, but it's a basic rule of my life. I settled for myself a long time ago that I believe the word of God 100% and that every answer I need to deal with life is in that. So hurt, you have to acknowledge for yourself when hurt when it's your issue, it's once goes go kind of goes back to what I said before, but when it's your issue or when it's their issue. And what I found through years of ministry is human nature and humanity as a whole has certain paths or certain things that they do over and over again. I'll give you an example. When people want to leave a church, they want to go to another church. I've watched. It's never their issue. It's always they have to find a reason why. Oh, uh, well, it's we don't like you. We don't, nobody's friendly to us. It becomes the church's fault. It becomes the ministry's fault. And what's happened is throughout time, ministers have taken that on personally. What did we do? And I, the Lord just kind of helped me see it like, no, no. Instead of stepping up and saying, look, we're just unstable in all of our ways, or <laughs> we, don't, we just don't want to go here anymore. Instead of doing that, 
they have to make it someone else's fault. That's a human nature. It's a nature cycle that we try to do. And so I think being able to kind of step back and see it rather than being right in the middle of it and feeling like, oh, this is my fault. Sure, we deal, but even at that, you, you're going to deal with the hurt. You've got to, you got to work your way through that mentally and emotionally. And it may take you a while. You know, my home is a safe zone. It's always been a safe zone. Uh, my husband and I do not, uh, we've never, and I don't recommend this, we've never brought people into our home to live. This is our safe zone. This is the place where I can come and slam doors and stomp <laughs> and complain and gripe as loud as I want, right? Right. And get it all out of my system so that when I go to church, I can be calm because everybody has to have that, uh, the, the spew point is what I call it, where you just shh, blow up, you know, the volcano. Because there's a there's something in us that that releases and then we can think calmly and we can think rationally again. So our home has always been that place. Now, obviously, when I, my daughter was here, my husband and I were very conscious of that. We were very careful that she was not exposed and had to deal with that, you know, those issues. I'd go to my bedroom and just, you know, but you have to have a safe area that you can release some of that. But if you stay in that area, I lost, I've lost a lot of people in my life. I've, I've experienced a lot of death in my life, death at young ages, you know, death at, you know, at, at different points. And people are like, well, how do you deal with that? And I said, well, one thing I learned is I can visit a graveyard, but I can't live in a graveyard. And I think that's what we have to understand, even in ministry. I can go and get mad and upset, but I can't stay mad and upset. I have to go to the word of God and I have to say, okay, you said I can get over this. You said I can get past this. You said I can deal with this. Then I'm taking you at your word. And that's what I want to do. And I think we have to understand in the world today, we have to fight for our healing. We have to fight for our own mental health. You have to fight for it. You can't just sit back and go, oh, God, heal me. You've got to go, okay, I've got to read some good things. I've got to find somebody to talk to. I've got to go into a prayer meeting. I've got to spend some time in personal devotion. I've got to go through a time of fasting and prayer, not for the world, for myself, for me to heal my mind, for me to heal my spirit, for me to get rid of this bitterness. And I remember when we were, that I remember when, when we were first pastoring, I, I can remember the first family that left us. I remember that it took me probably a lot I get over it a lot easier now because I know how to deal with it. I can recognize it and I can get beyond it. But when that first happened, I remember thinking six months, I really struggled with it. I, you know, my husband and I conversation after conversation after conversation and I, me just in tears and crying to God and what did we do wrong? And God go in having to show me that what I just told you, you didn't do anything wrong. It's them. It's not you. It's them. And, and having to, you know, re rehabilitate me through that whole thing. But I remember I told God during those conversations, here's what I want, God. I want to get to the point to where when I see those people, I can go up and hug their neck and genuinely mean it. And I remember the first time I saw them and I went up and just hugged them. I love you guys. It's so good to see you. And it was genuine. I was not putting on, I was not fake. And that is the revelation that God gave me as a young pastor's wife, that God will heal you if you take him at his word. If you say, you promised me that I wouldn't have to always deal with this. You promised me that I could overcome this. You promised me that I could mentally and emotionally and physically get through this. And then he will give you a moment where you'll recognize you, you've healed. You learned. There's a scar. 
you go, mm, okay, it's easier the next time you recognize it. It's easier to get through things like that. So. Yeah, I think also another important point you brought up was about anger. You know, you need that place. The Bible that never said anger was a sin. You know, it, it said to anger and sin not. I mean, even Jesus. I mean, here we have God who's wanting to not annihilate the whole, uh, everybody but Moses. And Moses like, wait a minute, you can't do that. And then Jesus, he's like going in the temple and he's cleaning house because he's mad and the way they're doing things. And, you know, when we get hurt, when people get hurt, offended, anger is going to come, especially if you've been invested in that relationship, it's going to come. You know, I like how what you say about how your home is your safe place. That's where you can go and just let it spew if you need to. And I don't mean cussing or anything like that. <laughs> no, not that. Not there. Not yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> You know, just having that place where you can vent it out and vent it out. Because if you hold it inside, what ends up happening, that anger ends up, it does, it transfers over and will eventually go into bitterness. And then that's where we get into a whole mess of trouble. And you know what? I love this. I always tell people, I look at the Bible differently than everybody else. And I tell people, you couldn't handle Jesus being your pastor. Wait, wait, I got to add this in here for those of you who do not know. And, and she has said that I've heard her say this, but if you, I mean, she literally gives these different individuals in the Bible. She likes, gives them their, their own whole persona. It's just like, this is so cool. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to interject that. In no, there. I love it. In fact, I've, I've even had taught, I've, I've thought about starting a podcast where it's, my mind in the Bible, how I read the Bible. And people tell me all the time I should, but I'm like, you I should. don't know. That would be awesome. Okay. We have all of these words in the Bible that we look at and we're like, oh, those are bad words. Envy, jealousy, hatred, anger. Oh, those are bad words. No, 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 no. Where did we get those emotions from? They all came from God. Exactly. We're made in his image. We're made in his likeness. He's a jealous God. He's an envious God. He can be an angry God. The problem is, when we don't know where the line of those are. Right. And I, I look at it like this. Okay. Let's talk about a, a man looking on a woman. The, you know, in the Old Testament, you had to commit the act. In the New Testament, Jesus said, if you look, right? Yep. You might as well have just went and done it. Yes. I always say this, that first look is free. That can be an accident. You could be shocked. You could be, it's when you entertain the second, the third, the fourth look that you begin to cross the line. Anger is an emotion from God. We're given it. There are things that should be, he said we should be angry at sin. We should be angry at the sin of this world. We should hate it. The line is when I'm angry at others, but I don't deal with it biblically. When I'm envious of others, but I don't stop that through prayer, through taking control of my mind, through girding up the loins of my mind, through telling myself, no, you're not going to feel this way. You're not going to act this way. Jealousy. When I entertain that, when I begin to entertain that, then it crosses that line from being a godly emotion that we all experience to something that's going to become sin in our life. And it's up to us as individuals to stop those negative emotions. Jesus went and turned over the tables, but he didn't do that every time he went. And he was righteously indignant of that, not because, not at the people, but because of the abuse of the house of God. Listen, I get very righteously indignant at a lot of things that are against the word of God. And that's fine because then I'm following his example. But I don't just indiscriminately get angry over everything. If I get angry over something, then I have to rein that emotion in and say, okay, is this legitimate? Am I angry over something that's 
the word of God or the laws of God or the righteousness of God that people are doing? Or am I just angry because that made me angry? If I'm just angry because it made me angry, that's my issue. I got to deal with that. Yeah. Another thing with anger, when I get really stressed, I get very agitated, very easy. So like going through drive through because many times what happens when you place the order at a drive through your order is not correct. If you're having a good day, no stress, what have you, no big deal. It'll just go on. But when that stress level hits, it's like everything in the world. I remember God pointed this out to me. He's like, Hey, you notice you've been doing this quite a bit and it never failed. Every time I go through the drive through, I'm getting mad. And it's not the poor girl's fault at the drive through. She's just doing her job. It's how I handled that situation, which obviously was not the correct way. When we as people can start noticing, oh, I'm noticing I do this over and over and over. That's where we need to look at, okay, why? That's just a surface thing. It's much deeper than that. Like you said, the root, it's like it's going deeper. Listen, we all have triggers. I have triggers. You have triggers. We have certain things. I can feel when I'm that feeling of emotion and anger, unsettledness and that just kind of a rolling inside of you. And yeah, it's probably better when I feel that not to schedule counseling with somebody at the church. It's probably better not if somebody calls me and says, can I have a conversation with you today? Me to say, you know what, can I schedule that? It's okay to schedule things out. It's okay to say, you know, let me deal with this. I also found that when I'm like that, I just need to sometimes pull back from everybody and spend some time with me and God. I've just not allowed enough of him into my life. And because of that, I'm short with people. I'm quick to anger. I'm jumping on people. This past weekend, I was in Virginia speaking and we got to the airport. It was a really, really small airport. And so I thought, oh, this is going to be a breeze. Get in there. There's one lady working the United counter and the line is huge. And the guy she's dealing with is obviously having an issue. I mean, we stood there probably 25 minutes. This is my type A personality. I cannot stand disorganization. <laughs> like, okay, there's got to be a better way to do this. Nobody's doing anything. So finally, there were two self-serve kiosks, but they were showing red, like they weren't working. Well, finally, we realized they were working. So we go up there and now I just said, okay, this is not working for me. And I stepped out and I said, is there anything we can do? <laughs> I'm not recommending people follow my example in this, but... <laughs> Even in doing all of that, the lady was like so embarrassed. And I said, ma'am, this is not your fault. I'm not upset with you. You're doing everything you can. We've just got, some of us just got to get on this airplane. Even in that moment of my type A organizational frustration moment, I had to always remind myself, be kind, be compassionate. When you look at the Bible, Jesus was always compassionate. Okay, me reading the Bible differently than everybody else. I, I'm waiting for this. <laughs> okay. So Jesus, he's he just learned John the Baptist died. So it's that's his cousin. He's dealing with that. Tells the disciples, look, I'm going to go. Let's go to a desert place. Let's get away. I need, I need some moments away. They go in the desert place. Guess who shows up? Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Jesus is like, oh, Lord, have mercy. He teaches them. He does what he's supposed to do. Goes to church and teaches like he's supposed to. They're hungry. So then he goes, let's feed them. Miracle of the 5,000, feeding of the 5,000. That's where you see it. Then Jesus goes to the disciples. You guys get in a boat and go to the other side. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to go. Bible says he goes up into a mountain to pray. He's like getting rid of the disciples. Like he's like pushing everybody away. I need some moments here. Then that's the story of the storm on the sea. But then they're in need. So Jesus comes walking to meet their need. And I always look at that because 
He just lost John the Baptist. But when he looked up on that crowd, the Bible says in that scripture setting, he was moved with compassion. When he realized the disciples were in trouble in the sea and needed him, he showed up. I can be frustrated. I can be going through the most worst, terrible thing in my life. That was probably pretty hard on him. That was his cousin he was raised with. That was beheaded in a terrible manner. But Jesus still showed compassion. And that's what you have to keep in your mind. God helped me see and keep compassion in my spirit. Even when I'm frustrated, even when I'm angry, let me still be moved by love for others. Especially, like I said, when super stressed or it's out of your control, it can be challenging to try to remember that compassion. But thank God, the more we do it, the easier it gets. I'm so thankful for that. And I'm also thankful that God sheds light. Yeah, and he will. Listen, he He knows his word is true. When you ask him to activate that in your life, he will activate that in your life. And I tell that so many times. I mentioned the fact that I've had a lot of death in my life. I remember I had a daughter that lived up for only nine days. And when she was born, we knew immediately there was a problem, but we didn't know technically what it was. And she immediately went into the NICU and she was there for nine days before she passed away. And I remember when I was going through that, I tell people it was like I was in a tunnel, like a dark tunnel driving. Like I see a prick of light in front, but I didn't know what was around me. I was just in this tunnel of, is my daughter going to live? What's going on? What's wrong? And I remember through that, I was like, God, I just need a word from you. And the only word that I got for nine days was Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for good to them that are called. And I remember I would get down to pray. I mean, I was just like weeping and I would just pray that scripture over and over again. God, Romans 8, 28, that's all you've given me. I know that all things work together for good. Now, my daughter passed away and people in the world would look at it and go, well, that didn't work for your good. But yes, it did. Because here's my daughter who, if she'd lived, would have been in a care facility. She would not have been able to have a normal quality life. Here's my daughter who... I got to spend endless hours with for nine days. I held her for 21 hours before she passed away. Took her from my arms, put her in the arms of Jesus. She's safe. She's in heaven. She's whole. She's happy. Would I have held her here for me or would I have released her to be healed in his presence? That's where I look at it and go, all things worked for good. Was it hard? Is there grief? Yes, that grief is for me, for what might have been, what she could have been if she'd have been whole upon this earth. Me missing her, me thinking, yes, I've gone through this moments. When my daughter went to college, I went through a time of depression because I realized then I wouldn't have had an empty house. Olivia would have been with me, but she wasn't. So yes, there are moments, but I always go back to what God gave me in Romans 8, 28. I may not like the good. It may not be what I chose. My mother died of cancer on my 30th birthday. She passed away. When we got my birth certificate and my mother's death certificate, it was two minutes apart from when I was born to when she died on that day. And I always tell people this jokingly, but seriously, with a serious undertone. I said, I always told the Lord through that whole thing. If you want to take somebody, I got a list for you, but she ain't on it. If you just need to like take some people on out of this world, I can give you a good list but my mother wouldn't be on it. Sometimes the way he works for good is not the way we think he should work. And that's why we have to say, your ways are higher. What you see, what you recognize, what you see in the future, what they may have to deal with in the future. I don't see those things. I made this statement many years ago, and I love to get this in the heart of people. We talk about faith and trust. 
And I taught a lesson and it simply said this, faith is easy, trust is hard. Oh yeah. So what is the definition of faith according to Hebrews? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Well, that's good, man. If this is something I hope for, it's like, ooh, faith. Yeah, I love having faith. I have faith that the Lord's gonna help me pay my bills and I have faith he's gonna heal me. That's things I hope for. So faith is easy because it's something good. It's something positive. It's something you hope for. Trust is different. Trust is what Job said. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Trust is about what if it doesn't turn out the way I want it to? What if it doesn't end up the way I want it to? What did I do as a child to endure this? Why did this happen to me? Those are the phrases. But somewhere in your life, you're going to have to come to that joke moment where it says, but my God is bigger. My God is greater. My God is stronger. And I trust him. And if he chooses to take me out of this life, if he chooses to slay me, if he chooses to take the very things that I love the most from me, yet will I trust him. That's the root of being a Christian. That's the root of saying that the Bible is true and he's real and everything he said is real. And I had to realize that as a Christian, life is great, but death is greater. Death is to be present with God. Beautiful in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. It's a doorway that I've been living to walk through my entire life. My mother had lived her entire life for that moment. Would I bring her back? for me. And those are the conversations that I have with myself. Those are the prayers that I have with God to help me understand, to help me deal with me having to stay here and live life without them, but understanding that I trust him. He knows greater than me and all things work together for good. How old were you when your daughter was born? I was, I was 31 when my daughter was born. At 30, your mom passes away. Then 31, your daughter is born and then she passes away. When we first came here, I was a little older than that. I just did the math in my head. My daughter died in 2001. When my husband and I first took this church, which was November of 1996, his mother had passed away in February of 96. We took this church in November of 96. My grandfather passed away December of 96. His wife, my grandmother, passed away in September of 97. My mother passed away in October of 97. His father passed away in February of 98. And then my daughter died in 2001. Every time we left our church as young pastors, we were going to a funeral. And it just seemed as if it was everybody around us. And we were very young. We were in our late 20s, early 30s to go through that much personal death. I always say about my mother, you know, you do expect to bury your mother, but you don't expect to bury her at 30 years old. I never expected to bury my children. I expect them to bury me. So that was a total different set of circumstances in my life. So can I say that even though I haven't been through a lot of personal trauma when it came to such things as abuse or neglect or anything like that, and I praise God for the protection he put in my life over me, I have been through emotional trauma of losing people one after another. I will say this, I've been through some health problems here lately. And I've had people come up to me as I'm speaking or talking and saying, oh, I want your anointing. And I just want to hug them and say, are you sure? 
Because in the Bible, we see God never used anybody that he did not test. Exactly. And not only that, you have no idea what that person has gone through to get that anointing. You really don't. Makes me think, oh, years ago, Nancy Granquist, I think she's one of the most phenomenal piano players. You know, her ministries, such anointing. And I remember years ago, I really wanted to play the piano. And this was a hard lesson learned. I learned it the hard way. I have had two encounters with her to uh, one time was in Florida. I had physical problems. I wasn't, I was literally on a walker because the bottom half of my body just was not functioning. She was one of the main speakers. And I remember her getting up and right in the middle of her message, she stopped and she said, if you need a healing in your body, have the ladies around you start praying for you. Well, that's what they did. And I left there walking. I felt so much stronger. It was just so awesome. And so years later, we was in another other state and she came to the ladies conference and and I went and bought her a card and I said I know you don't know me I said this is what happened back in that other state and then I told her I said you know I don't want your ministry but I really want to be able to play the piano and I want people to feel God as I play I said again I don't want your ministry but please pray for me And she did. I have no doubt she did because it wasn't six months and I was, no, I wasn't playing up to her level, but I could definitely play. I was at the point I was starting to be very involved with music ministry. But what I did not realize till years later was I had no idea what she went through for that anointing. Some of the things she went through, I was going through the very same thing. And it's like, yeah, you want that anointing, but you don't know what a person went through to get there. Well, I mean, you look at, once again, me back to reading the Bible differently. So many people are like, I want to be used like Peter. I want to be used like Paul. But when you go study their lives, I mean, they were tortured for their faith. I mean, they gave up their life as martyrs for their faith. Paul. He dealt with it in his life. He said, there's a thorn in my flesh that I've dealt with. I've asked God to take it away. And he's like, no, this thorn is perfecting you in some way. I don't believe that we can say that we're going to be used in ministry without understanding what that means. We have to have the wisdom to understand that you are going to go through things. It may be your health. It may be death. It may be you facing some sicknesses. It may be you facing some tests and trials that you did not really know how that you were going to have to test or face. But all of that, God has never does that indiscriminately. He does that to perfect you. He does that to bring you to a new level. He does that to take you to a new understanding, to open your mind. And if you're willing to walk that path, then yes, there's anointing for you. But if if you just want the anointing, but you don't want that you're not going to get both. What I call the glamour. You want the the glim and glamour without all the whatever's in the backdrop. Yeah, you, you're not going to get both. No, you can't have both. And, and that's where, you know, people, I think so often we do ourselves a disservice in the organization as a whole because we just put people up and preaching in pulpits and people are like, oh, I want to do that. And we don't tell the behind the scenes story. We don't tell the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, where we get to know that person and we get to know what they go through and what they're facing every day to have that anointing to carry the gospel and to do those things. It really is an honor. I mean, I've gone through things and I've looked at it and I've had people say, well, how do you even wake up in the morning? And I'm like, because I have a purpose here. God gave me a purpose here. And if all of those things simply help me to be better, help me to have something to say, help me to have experiences that I can share, help me be moved with compassion for others. 
Exactly. I mean, that's what it's all about. And you know, the other thing too is things that you have been through, those specific things, you'll be able to reach people. That's that part of empathy. I don't know about you, but like me personally, it's like I can, I'll just be sitting there and I can pick it up like and know exactly what's going on because I have empathy. I I understand totally what that individual has been through or experienced. Exactly. I think as a pastor's wife too, this has been one thing for me. I have always realized that I don't have the answer for everything. I think you had mentioned you had a, a son that was autistic. I have a lady in my church and she has a son who's autistic. At that point of her life, he was not high functioning at all. He had no verbal skills. We've come to find out later on, he's very smart, a mathematic genius, actually, which they didn't know for a long time. They had to get him in the right therapy. But I remember she was dealing with an issue. He was going through puberty. She's a single mom. She had a younger daughter. And in his anger and his expression, he didn't know how to express himself. He was being a little physically abusive. And she came to me because she was weeping because her ex-husband said, well, why don't you let me take him? And that was hard for her as a mom to say, okay, I can release my son. What's best for our family as a whole? And I remember looking at her and I was moved with compassion. My heart was broken for her. And I just realized this is not a decision I've ever had to face. But I remembered the testimony of Sister Denise Wynn. And I picked up the phone and called her and I said, I have a young lady in my church. She had had a son, he's older now, that she had actually had to put in a home because they couldn't care for him anymore. I said, would you talk to my girl in my church? Because you understand this moment for her in a way that I don't. I connected her with someone else. It's okay to say, I don't have every answer, but I didn't just leave her hanging. I said, let me find somebody to help you. And then I was just her encourager. When she wanted to cry, here's my shoulder. When you want to pray, Here's my hand. Let's pray together. I'm not going to tell you that I understand everything, but I'm going to put you in touch with somebody that can help you. And I think that's that moved with compassion, just not leaving people without help and hope. Yeah, I think that is so important to know people that maybe I don't have the answers, but I do know somebody who can provide those answers for you, or at the very least provide extra support because they know they've been down that road. During all those times, that period of death that you dealt with, about how old were you when that started? Well, when my husband's mother passed away in 96, I would have been about 26 or 27 years old. And from that that time till I was about 30, probably 36 or 37, we just went through it. A period of six or seven years and everybody very close, imagine, had passed away. How did you deal with that? Because I know that that's not something easy. Losing one person is not easy. Losing a child to death, that definitely is not easy. And like you said, you don't expect to bury your mother in your when you're 30. Do you remember the old toy? It was called Weebles. Yes. The Weebles they, wobble, we, but they don't, they don't fall, fall down. down. Yes, I remember that. And you would hit them and they would hit the ground. They would bounce back up. I tell people that probably for seven or eight years of my life, I felt like a Weeble. Like I felt like every time I turned around, I was getting hit. I would just have to pop back up. I mean, sometimes it's just the circumstances of your life. I mean, when my mom died, my husband and I had not been pastoring here, but about two years, I had a two and a half year old daughter. I had church people. I did the music. I was the secretary. I took the, you know, counted the offering, made the deposit, paid the bills. I took on my dad's bills at that time because my mother did all of that. 
So for what I don't, what I need people to understand is sometimes just the activity of life causes you to have to get back up. When Olivia died, my daughter was eight. I couldn't just stop. I couldn't crawl in the covers and, you know, pull the covers up over my head. Tell you a, a kind of a, a neat story that maybe will capsulize this for you. My daughter was eight when Olivia died in November. The next year in September, we decided to take my daughter, Caitlin, to Disney World. We're like, we just need a family getaway. You know, it's been a rough time. And we went to Disney Disney World in Florida and we had bought our tickets. We had service on Sunday morning and we left Sunday night and flew in. And when we got in, I was like, let's just go into the park tonight. Let's Let's watch the electric light, you know, parade, the downtown parade. If you've ever been there for that, the streets are just lined with people. So we were walking, trying to find a place and they have it, it looks like crime tape, but it's that whatever that tape is, you know what I mean? They have it sectioned off. There just happened to be one little place. And so my husband and I asked the family, like, can we come under here? And they're like, oh yeah, come on in. So we came in and we're standing there and my husband begins to talk to the gentleman and he can tell he has an accent. He says, where are you from? He says, oh, we're from England. He said, oh, okay, well, you know what? You're just here on vacation. What bring, brought you here? And this is what the man said. And this is such a God moment. The man pointed to his wife who was sitting on the curb. And he said, you see that lady right there? I said, yes. So that's my wife. He said, we just lost a baby that lived for nine days. And he said, I've brought her here with my other children because she's hooked on prescription drugs. She can't get out of the bed in the morning. She can't deal with this loss. My husband just put his hand on his shoulder and he said, let me tell you my story. We're here because we just lost a baby that lived nine days. And he pointed at me and he said, you see that woman right there? He said, she's never been hooked on drugs because there's a God. And he was able to witness to that man about the power changing of God. Now, that's what I'm talking about. Sometimes children, other things, you just got to be like a weeble. You just got to get back up and face it. Even if you get knocked down again, even if you get hit again, you got to get up because there are people depending on you to get up. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a church. Maybe it's a ministry. Maybe it's a job. Something has to cause you to get back up. Now that seems, I know for some people that can seem trite, but it's a mental position that you have to acknowledge. You have to say, I can choose darkness. I can choose to stay down. I can choose to lay here and not get up. Or I can choose to say, I have a lot in my life to get up for. And you just get up. Now, were there days that I would take my daughter to school, come home and not want to get out of my pajamas? There were days I did that. I went through that. You can have those moments, but it's like I said with the graveyard, you cannot stay in those moments. That is not the intention of your life. And if we live in the Lord tarries, every one of us will face death experiences. Our personal ones, our spouses, our children, our parents, it's there. These things are going to happen. Sickness, cancer, disease. Here I am, God leading me down a path of opening doors for me to travel a little bit now. And last year I got diagnosed with a severe case of RA, a debilitating case of it. Now we have it stable right now, but the point is I can't stay down. I've got too much to get up for. And I have to consistently 
keep that in the forefront of my mind. We do have the ability. I love the Bible because we have the ability. And I want to encourage ladies, if you're listening to me, you have the ability to take control of your mind. This is where that battle starts. There are scriptures I pray over my mind, gird up the loins of my mind. I don't even know what that means, but I just pray it. (laughs) I don't know where my mind's loins are, but I'm just praying, gird them up, gird them up. I don't know where it is. Put something on them. I think of it. This is me looking at the Bible different. I think about it, putting on a girdle. I'm like, put on my mind, girdle, Lord, hold it all in there. Hold it together today. I love that. I just got a real visual, (laughs) but I love it. Just put my Spanx on in my head, Lord. Hold it all together. Keep it in there. You know what I mean? And and I pray, give me the mind of Christ right now. Help me understand. Give me wisdom. Control my mind. Control my thinking. Close my ears to things I shouldn't hear. Close my eyes to things I shouldn't see. I just pray over the top part of my body a lot. God, give me this. Protect this. Put on the helmet. Put on that. Protect my mind, protect me. And in doing that, I think I win over half the battles right there. Absolutely. I was thinking about difficult trial I'd gone through several years ago. I didn't understand. The Bible, it talks about to pass all our understanding. He gives us peace that passes all understanding. Peace that passes all understanding. And I didn't understand that, but I just, I remember praying that. I said, God, I said, please give me the peace that passes all my understanding. Because like you, you with the gird up your mind, I was like, I can't even fathom that. But it was like, as time went on, it was like that peace did come and it definitely, I couldn't comprehend it. You know, because the situation was so bad. But, you know, also, too, with when you go through situations, and I was thinking about the story you shared about the the couple from England. I mean, and that was, I agree, it was a, it was a God thing. And it's like, sometimes when we do go through those situations, those trials and devastation, sometimes in the midst of it, or when we're coming out on the other side of it, God will actually place us in the path of that individual. You know, Job, Job, he says two times in Job, it talks about how Satan could have never done anything without God's permission at all. Sometimes these situations, we may not understand it, but as challenging as it might be, maybe God gave permission because there's somebody that's going through that exact same thing and they don't have the hope that maybe you have or I have. Everything you're saying to me is people coming to the realization that the word of God is true. It is real. It is alive. It is active. It can be activated in your life. It's more than just words on a paper. And this is where we just have, we have to settle that in our spirit. I taught a lesson not long ago from Luke chapter 21, which is all the end time stuff, you know. In the last days, there's going to be wars, rumors, wars, earthquakes. I I taught all of that. But right in the middle of Luke 21, he says, I'm going to turn all of these things for your testimony. All these things I'm talking about are going to be turned for your testimony. And then the next scripture, he said, settle it, therefore, in your heart. Bottom line is, that's where we've got to get to. We see our world. We see what's happening. It's chaos right now. I never thought in my lifetime I would see it go to this. I thought that was going to be after I was gone. I feel like a weeble. I'm like, get up every day. I'm like, oh my Lord. Oh, you know, just get knocked as a Christian. You're just left, right, back, up, down. And I remember thinking, oh, I had to turn all that off. I was like, I can't hear any more of that. The world is going to do what the world is going to do. I only have two directives from the word of God. First of all, I'm going to settle that the word of God is true. It is coming to pass. It's going to come to pass. And the second thing I'm going to do, I'm going to pray over myself and others. I'm going to say, God, you make sure I stay 
connected to you and believing your word, living your word with every bit of power that I have. And then you help me find somebody else and let them make this realization. This is why to me, and even my ministry of passion approach, it's all about the transformative power of the word of God. People don't realize it, but the transformative power of the word of God. If you do nothing in your life, read the word, pray the word, speak the word. There's power released in that. He said, I've magnified the word above my name. We have a tendency to go every time we're in crisis. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm not saying don't call on his name, but I'm saying, why don't you first go to the Bible and find the scripture that applies to you and begin to pray that scripture over your mind. Pray that word over you because he's magnified that word, that spoken, written word above even his very name. That's powerful. And so if I could do anything, and this is just what I pray everywhere I go, God, let me somehow show the transformative power of the word Word of God and its ability to be activated in our life. Like Star Trek. <laughs> I'm ready. Activate. Activate. As we get ready to wrap up, one of the things that I have all my guests do is to think about that person out there, particularly in your case, that person who may be in ministry, who may have suffered death or tragedy, maybe not necessarily a traumatic, you know, situation, but just situations. Talk to that person who may be dealing through some of those things. I would say this, you know, we have been through a pretty traumatic time in 2020 and COVID has taken a lot of people. With that said, I I believe that there's still purpose for us to be here. There's purpose. Everything we go through can be used as a testimony. That's what I took out of Luke 21. He said, I'm going to turn the worst things in the world for your testimony. We know what Revelation said. We are an overcomer by the word of our testimony. If I could say anything is Find a safe group, find a counselor, find a Christian counselor, find some friendships, uh, other pastors, wives, not people in your church. Find somebody that you can be real with. Find somebody who's going to be real with you. Find a safe place, your home, your marriage, friendship, something that you can express those thoughts and they can send you on the right path. We do need to talk about it. Jesus told us that. We, we have a word of our testimony that sometimes has to be spoken out for us to overcome it. It's okay to say, I'm not healthy right now. It's okay to say, I'm not in a good place. I, I need some help. That's okay. I want to say this. We have to be able to express. And then the root of it all is simply this. His spirit, his word is going to be our answer. There, there is an answer for everything in there. I firmly believe that. Find somebody who will encourage you from the word of God. And I have some friends of mine that I can tell them anything. I know they're going to be confidential. I have some friends of mine that I have a very good friend of mine and she and I have an agreement with each other. If I'm just talking nonsense, she gets to say, stop right now. You're being crazy. Take control of yourself. Everybody needs some friends like that. Everybody needs some relationships like that. And especially if you're in the ministry, because her and her husband and my husband and I's life, if we stay too long as pastors, you have the right to tell us you're old. You need to get a successor and let that church go. You need to have some people in your life who will speak to you in real terms. 
Why are you doing that? Why, why are you acting like that? You need to get control of yourself. You need to stop. So not everybody's going to be that friendship, but find some connections, find some people that are safe people. If you need a counselor, then get a counselor. There's nothing to be embarrassed about in the ministry of saying our marriage, we need to go to a marriage counselor. That's the best example you can set for your people. So to me, I, sometimes I think I have sickness of the mouth because I talk a lot, <laughs> but I also think it keeps us healthy when we can talk, express. That's that's cauterizing those wounds and getting that bitterness out. And if I can get it out of me, then I can keep it out of me. Man, I, I've just really enjoyed this interview with you. Woo, I, I, I'm over here like absorbing stuff like a sponge. So thank you again for being on the podcast with me today. I really appreciate it. And I've enjoyed it. If I could just say one thing, if you are listening, I would invite you to go and visit my website, apassionapproach.com. We do have a lot of apostolic resources there, video resources. One of the things that we're trying to do is talk on subjects that are not easily talked about. I have a three lesson video series on there about how to overcome divorce, which is is something that sometimes we don't talk about in our churches. So I would like to, and we're continually putting new resources there that we're trying to, you know, qualify people that can discuss those things. So I would encourage you go there. I have a six lesson series on overcoming offenses, which this is part of it. We've got to overcome these offenses to be able to move forward. So I would just say, go check out our website, apassionapproach.com. And there may be some resources there that would help as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you for putting that plug in. Cause I honestly it slipped my mind. We got so involved in other stuff. Yes, absolutely. Go visit the, the website. I think there'll be a lot of good information there. And until next time, I hope everybody has a blessed and wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Real Talk 238 podcast for this week's episode. If you have enjoyed this episode of the Real Talk 238 podcast, please subscribe so you will be notified when new episodes are released. If you would like to leave a comment, or there is a topic you would like discussed on the Real Talk 238 podcast, you can drop an email at therealtalk238 at gmail.com. You can also find the Real Talk 238 podcast on Facebook and Instagram listed as at the Real Talk 238. As a reminder, the Real Talk 238 podcast is not a substitute, nor does it replace therapy. Always seek the advice of your physician or a qualified licensed mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or mental health disorder. Until next time, have a blessed day.